Hi everybody, you're listening to The Rope Podcast with Box and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you are not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. Rope bondage is a risky activity, and you shouldn't attempt it without first getting proper training. Listen to episode zero if you haven't already. Fox is a rigger, and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. This episode is made possible by our patrons who support us each month. If you would like to help, head to ropepodcast.com to see many options. This year, we want to focus on bringing the Rope Podcast to a wider audience. To achieve that, we would like to ask you to follow us on Instagram and reshare this episode in your Instagram stories. We are Rope Podcast on Instagram. Another thing that helps us is if you give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's anonymous, so you won't have your name visible on the internet connected with a kinky podcast, don't worry. And now, going on with the show. This is part two of our interview with JP the Pope. If you haven't listened to part one yet, we recommend you go ahead and listen to that first. And that is the episode immediately before this one. Now, continuing our conversation with JP. As uh, rope bondage people, we know that what we do is uh, dangerous and can be quite extreme. And without going into specific people, have you had to deal with accidents and injuries and that type of thing? Yes, I say a lot to people. I, you know, I, people when I meet and they look up to me, and they're like, "Oh, you've done this and you've done that." And I tell people, if you knew how many times I didn't do it right, you'd probably be more nervous about being around me. But I also think that that's one of the things that makes successful people successful. It's not the fact that you are successful, but it's how many times you fell down and got back up. Because a lot of times you get kicked down and you stop and you're like, "That's it, I'm not doing this." And the same with rope bondage, you know. Even as as far into this as I am for the years of experience that I have, I still do things. I'm like, oh, shit, that's not going to work. And we have to redo and we have to, you know, re kind of try and reconfigure the thing. Luckily, I have had situations that where there's been a couple um, because it happens. We're human. But it's when they've happened, there was enough safety in place that if this does go awry, we know what to do immediately. But then again, I've had accidents happen. We had one where we were doing a bondage sex scene and we put the model on her back and we put her head up against a wall with a pad and had kind of a chin to her chest. And then her legs were pulled back and there was sex and everything seemed fine. And all of a sudden she let out this yelp and we're like, oh God, and everyone jumped back and we're like, what's wrong? And she's like, my neck, my neck. And everyone panics. And I'm like, don't touch her. Let me get to her. And I'm talking to her and trying to make sure that, you know, I'm doing the best I can with the knowledge that I have to not injure her more. And the paramedics ended up showing up because we're like, this is a neck injury. We need to get her checked out. We do not. I'm not. Let's not walk it off. Air quotes. And while we're talking in front of the paramedic, she's like, I'm sorry. I should have told you. I was like, you should have told me what? She was like that I had a neck injury. And I was like. Oh my God, like you, I've just put you in something that had your chin to your chest. Why didn't you say anything? And she was like, I didn't think it was a big deal. So there's been that situation. Most of them have been very, besides that one, have been extremely minor. There's been an oopsie. There's been like the, you know, the weird numbness in the, the side of the thumb that has happened. And again, it's communication. Sometimes they, they just forgot to communicate because it was a hot scene, which goes back to what I was saying earlier about having to be overly attentive to everything. Because if you have all the other things going on, sometimes, you know, the bottom ignores their, their own body. 
Um, but I'm luckily, knock on wood, I haven't had any massive injuries, like with the exception of the one, only to find out that that was, you know, there was a pre-existing situation. We'd love to know a bit about how a shoot works, like the pre, the during, the post. I appreciate it could be a TED talk in itself, but like just an idea of how do you actually go from nothing to a fully formed, um, sexy uh, scene? One of the main things that we do is when you come onto our set with us, and it's like I did it with my old company. He he was doing it. Kink.com does it. I do it at my studio. I even do it if there's any like a, a partner that's new or something like that. And I'm a married man, and there's not a lot of partners, but there are situational things. There's always a limit sheet or at least a huge conversation of keep your clothes on. You sit there. I sit here. Let's let's not let the genitalia and the, the, the brain juice get all excited. Let's figure out what are the good, what are the bad, what are the no's, what are the maybes, and then we start moving forward. But it all starts with a with a limit sheet that's at least three pages long for the shoots, and it's a yes, no, or needs discussion. And then they can check anything from nipple clamps to breath play to and it's a, it's vague, but it covers ninety five percent of what could possibly happen. And then anything that isn't on there would obviously be something extreme enough that has to have a bigger conversation before we even attempt it. It wouldn't be like a walk around a corner surprise. Ha ha, we're going to waterboard you today. So that's, it starts with it starts with them filling that out. And then I sit down and have a conversation. And, and one of the first things that I tell, especially a new performer that I'm working with, I, I stress really hard how that consent is 100% revocable, that you have said yes to all of these things. If I walk on camera and suddenly I start to do any of them that you said yes to, and it's ugly, it doesn't feel right, it's it's triggering, whatever. I don't even need to know why. But if you don't like it, you speak up and we stop, period. There's no repercussion. There's no, oh, man, you messed up my scene. There's You guys have seen my films. I can do more than a couple of things. So I was like, I can. it's like Disneyland. I can find a ride that's going to make you happy. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really want to share our love of Rope to as many listeners as possible, and for that we need your help. Please go to Instagram and follow our account Rope Podcast, then reshare this episode in your stories. Show your love of Rope and help others discover it too. So it's it starts with that and making and, and trying to empower the bottom to know that they and I, I use the term I was like and if you don't like something tell me to fuck off and I will politely fuck off I don't have I I've left my ego outside when I shoot and I play years ago or I found that was the best thing I could have done because if you tell me you don't like something I don't get butt hurt and go well that's the way I do it you should like it no that's being a shithead doing it without ego making sure that the bottom is the most important creature in the room at the moment and then also empowering my team that's on productions with me to also keep me in check because again sometimes the blood goes to the wrong part of the body and you aren't paying attention or you get overly excited and i've always empowered my team to hey call me if you see me stepping beyond what I should be doing. And again, knock on wood, it hasn't happened, but I've had, you know, people as an idea, they're like, mm, JP, you probably shouldn't do it that way. And I start thinking, I'm like, you're right. That's not being smart. So having a crew of people that I trust around me that are empowered to speak up on the model's behalf. And I always tell the model that having this, the, the checklist in place and, and empowering them to, as I said, tell me to fuck off and then not taking it personal. And cause that's one of the hardest things too about the job is I meet you, 
you've seen me on the internet or something, you show up at my studio for the first time, and in an hour, I'm going to tie you up and torture you, and you have to trust that I'm not going to follow through like a psycho and bury you somewhere. So it's it's that, gaining the trust of someone I found out is just being honest with them and empowering them and reassuring them. You are safe and checking in when the camera moves. Like I'm, you know, the shit talking and the mean guy on camera. But when that camera moves in between those camera moves, I'm like, are you OK? How are you doing? Like I'm, I'm constantly checking with them. The ones that I'm I know more and I have a personal connection that we've played enough with that I'm more familiar with them. If they're really heavy bottoms, I don't do as much check-in because it pulls them out. But I'm also aware and am familiar with their bodies and their reactions enough to know where they're at and also trust them enough to tell me, fuck off. Uh, JP, you mentioned ego. I remember attending one of your online classes one time and you were wearing a t-shirt that said, ego kills talent, which I loved. Can you explain to us what you mean by that sentence? It's, I feel like people who do anything, well, I don't care what it is, if you do it with an ego, meaning that, you know, in my head, uh, someone with an overinflated ego, because you, you have to be proud, you have to have confidence, but to have this ego of like, I am the thing and I am the greatest, you suddenly, you feel that you're not flawed, you feel that you can do whatever you want and it's always going to be right. And then you look around one day and you realize nobody likes you or nobody wants to be around you. And you may be really good at that, but it to me, it destroys. There's, I've, and I don't see it often, but I've seen it enough that I, when I saw that shirt, I had to have it. Because you, when someone gets to a certain level, instead of constantly trying to improve, and I mean, with me, I brag, you know, I'm almost in 20 years into this industry. And I still, every day, I'm trying to learn something different. Like I said, I, I watch other people to get inspired for different bonded shapes. And, and my lighting and my videographer and I are always talking. And he's been in the industry as long as I have. So we're constantly, like, I'm all the time trying to improve and never assuming that I know everything just because, oh, I've done it for 20 years. And I think people with the big egos like that get to it. They level off. It's like they plateau. Like, they don't think there is anything else for them to learn. Therefore, their talent just goes out the window because they stop getting better. They stop improving. They stop trying to make themselves better. So to me, that's what it, it just means that people, they almost give up on themselves because their ego gets in their way. So they just kind of like, okay, I'm the best I can be. I'm done. And that's just, it sucks. So I figured to me, like I said, do it without ego. Do it for every other reason except your ego. Do it because they like it. Do it because it makes them happy. Do it because it makes you happy, but don't do it because you can turn around and brag to someone. Look what I did. I mean, it's cool to be like, hey, look at this cool shape I made the other day, but it's a difference to, you know, thump your chest and be, it, it's gross to me when people act that way. Wise words indeed. Speaking of cool shapes, JP, how do you design, how do you come up with the positions for your shoot? some of them being really creative? <laughs> to be honest with you, I have a three ring binder at my studio. And I, I jokingly printed out, I went into Photoshop and did this horrible, like I pulled a couple silly fonts and it's like top secret, stay out. And it's literally full of pictures that I've done throughout the years because you do something. And to me, I feel like my, my bondage has gone through phases. So it was here. And then I moved into this phase where I was doing these. And it wasn't by design. It just kind of, it, as it evolved. And as that happened, some of these things that I really loved fell off and I just quit using them because I was doing other positions. So I have this top secret book that's like, it's kind of like when you see like, for instance, Metallica or these bands that have been around forever and you, or even Green Day, and you see them standing on stage and they have the thing in front of them to play the notes and remind them of the lyrics. And I never understood it 
Because I'm like, you wrote this song. This is your baby. How could you not remember it? But when you've been doing it so long, you tend and you keep creating, there's things that you forget. And the day I had to make my notebook was like, okay, I get why they do this now. So I had this, when my brain doesn't, I can't come up with anything. I go to my little book and look through old stuff. But it also, part of it comes from, like I said, looking at these legends, you know, these people who have been doing this longer than me, the people who have are have set this level of what, you know, Shibari and bondage is supposed to be. So my brain, you know, sometimes I'm like, I don't have anything. So I'll go and see like Segura's page. Pardon me if I butchered the pronunciation of his name, but I'll go, you know, and look at what him and Naka are doing, or I'll go and I've always looked at other people's stuff to try and see like, oh, I like this one. But what if we did this? So I always try and I don't go and just outright rip off another thing that I've seen someone do. I try and do it in a way that it still is my style. Even with a Naka thing, it's very much his. But I also I pay homage to it. I'm not like, haha, I came up with this really cool thing and it's all JP and no one ever did it before. And I'm the coolest, which is that ego. I'm like, I did this thing. And I'm going to tag Naka and be like, hey. You did this thing and I thought it was really cool. And this is me saying, I hope it's like, you know, the offering, like, I hope you, I hope you approve of my measly little offering of doing what you've already done. And what, what role does um, aftercare play in your professional life? Like, how do you debrief a model after you've done the sexy talk touring? So here's the thing, and this is probably a downside to doing it in our industry is the aftercare off camera to me is a completely different thing than what we do on camera, meaning, or not even like, but like as a production. So everyone's there and my crew's there. We shoot and we do the thing, but there's, it's not the same aftercare as like if, you know, the two of you were private in your home and you were playing and then afterwards you're snuggling and you're kind of talking to each other and you're, you know, you're doing the, you're, you're, you're soothing each other and you're kind of, there's something very romantic and beautiful about this aftercare that can happen in a very sensual environment. And it, it's, I think a lot of that is lost in production. So instead of being able to stop everything and turn the lights low and put on soft music and, you know, let the bottom put their head in my lap or, you know, sit in my lap or whatever and me just talk to them and let them and have that moment and you guys know that deep breath when they finally they're in it a hundred percent and that soothing that you that i like to do for them you don't have that as much which i would love but that my shoots would go a lot longer so what we do is we we have candy and we have really comfortable robes and we have a crew my crew is trained to be very attentive i tell my guys i'm like look you treat them like a queen, but we never let them act like a diva. So we give them, if you need water, let me get you water. Do you want a snack? Do you want to go get, do you want me to go get the bowl of candy? Do you need a Red Bull? Or, you know, is there anything I can do for you? But at the same time, if they get kind of demanding and shitty towards them, then they come say, hey, then she's not being very nice. And then it's a different thing. I've never had that happen. It's always the other way. And they're being, instead of head in my lap, they get the attentiveness of me and my PA and my videographer and they had, and my producer, who is also my wife. So they're surrounded by people that are like, hey, what can I do to make you feel good? So it's not as romantic, I guess, or sensual, but it's still they are very taken care of. And they also, I hug them all the time. Like, I'll, you know, it's the scene's over and I squeeze them and I tell them how proud I am. I had a model recently that told me that I hug like the characters at Disneyland. And I was like, what does that mean? And she was like, they don't let go until you let go first. And I was like, oh, I like that. Like, I'll take that all day because that's the way I 
if you need me, I'll sit here and squeeze you and squeeze you and squeeze you. And then when you let go, then I'll let go. And it's because I don't want to let go and make, oh, now it's, I don't want them to feel that I'm trying to dismiss them. So I try and, I try and be, like I said, I try and be as attentive as I can in, in the production environment, but it's always the proverbial patting on the head and, you know, telling them they were a good girl or good boy. And, you know, I'm so proud of you and you were fucking awesome. And I also, my phone is full of porn. I take pictures and be like, look, this is what you just did. Here's your instant gratification. Look how awesome you look. So it's, it's constant praise and, and just because I know it's a lot. And I tell people, you know, it, if it weren't for the models, I, I would just be this weird guy standing in the middle of a room with rope in my hand. So I, you know, I get, I have this privilege of all of these humans that allow me to do the things that I do to them. So I try and reciprocate by making them feel good and telling them how, how awesome and how much I appreciate them. Awesome. Uh, JP, you just mentioned that your wife is your producer. What what does she do on a shoot and how is the working relationship between you two? Um, she is my producer and she's also my business partner. So when we moved out of the armory as an employee, we I started my own production house. And my wife is this creature that does things that I tell everybody, and her name is Becky. I tell everybody, I was like, you need a Becky. You have to have a Becky. Like everyone needs a Becky because she can put out the fire and find things that no one else can find and build the most amazing database in the world. And like, she's just, she's fucking amazing at what she does, which makes my job a lot easier so I can focus on the production end of it. But she, as far as her job as for the shoots, she's the one who books the talent. She is the one who takes care of the flights and the accommodations. She is the one who greets them when they walk in the door and fills out their paperwork and make sure there's 2257 compliance. So she does that. She kind of is like the model concierge, the 2257 person. She also walks around and takes lunch orders for everyone and then orders it. And then the PA goes and grabs it. She has this sisterly, motherly, protecting kind of human that they know that they could. Becky's always up front. Becky, you can go talk to her or she'll pop out sometimes. And we always joke that when on our sets, you know, people think that we're all just fucking each other and doing horrible things to each other. And in reality, we're usually sitting there with my wife talking about some random family thing that had happened. So it's kind of, it's a cool thing to kind of have this very normal when the camera's off feeling around people. And plus, like I said, she's got the mama bird thing going on. So there are times, like if we do heavy wax scenes, one of Becky's favorite things with the model's permission, obviously, is she'll sit on the floor with the model laying there with the wax on them and just help pull the wax off. And they just sit there and they talk about the, like, you know, where they went shopping or this food that they just tried. And it's the most mundane conversation, but they have this thing. And so she's, she kind of wears a bunch of hats. She's definitely the backbone to what I do as far as my company. And my house, for that matter. In terms of you guys' day-to-day -day work life, what's the typical duration for a shoot? Like, how much of your day does it take up, and how many times a week do you usually do it? Um, we usually shoot. It depends. It varies. There's no like certain day that we shoot, so it just depends. Two to three. I've done five shoots, you know, back to back. I've done more than that, which I don't suggest to anyone because it, it it wears you out. But I usually try and keep between two or three shoots a week um, to give me some downtime to do other stuff that needs to like you know all the back end, the, the not fun stuff. And we usually get there at nine or ten o'clock, probably usually nine. And we get in, we start prepping. The models show up ten, ten thirty. Sometimes they do their makeup, they do the paperwork. They 
kind of did the Becky does all the intake while we're getting ready to set up. And then once we, we'll do lunch because we usually have all of the things that are happening and I like to eat so we don't have to take a break halfway through. Like I want to start and then we just go because it, it's better for my brain. It's better for the model's brains instead of stopping and coming out of it and going, hey, now that we've taken an hour break, let's get your head back into that. So we usually, depending on the day, five, six o'clock. So it's usually an eight to nine hour day. Like yesterday, I left my house. We had a big storyline feature that I did for Sex and Submission. And I left my house at eight o'clock yesterday morning and I didn't get back home until 830 last night. So that was definitely a longer day. And the location that we were at was like 20 minutes from my house. So it was a long day, but it was also really awesome and amazing. So I think three, two to three times average a week and then eight or nine hours a day. So if you've been doing that for about 20 years, that's a lot, a lot of models you've tied and a lot of rope you've done, right? A lot. <laughs> a lot, a lot. That's why I was saying earlier, I have, I've got a lot of practice. Yeah, for sure. So what's been the funniest moment that you've experienced? Like, I imagine that things don't go uh, right all the time. The blooper, I've, there's, there's been so many over the years. The one that comes to mind right now is I actually have a video. I'll have to see if I can find it and maybe I'll email it just for your eyes only, but to let you see it. But I'm working with Angela White, who I'm not, I don't know if you're familiar with, but she's, she's, uh, Australian porn star. She's in America now. She's, she's a pretty, she's a really big name in our industry. And this was maybe the second time we had worked together. And I've got her in this chair tie. So she's just sitting there in that infamous wooden chair that I use, the little regular, looks like a kitchen chair, I guess. And her hands are tied down beside her and her legs are tied spread. And I think there's a neck, a thing around her neck and a bowling ball hanging, a 12 pound bowling ball hanging off of it. And she's just all in it. And I'm hand between the legs doing what I do. The vibrator's buzzing and she's making the noise. And I'm completely unaware. I'm kneeling, I'm in front of her and I'm like looking down at what I'm doing. And then I feel something just graze my face. And I look up and she had slid her hand out. She had, was able to sit there and wiggle and she was writhing around enough that her hand had come free. And she's got these little bitty hand, like my hand to wrist ratio is a lot different than most people's. So hers, she worked around enough that she finally slid it. And the footage is amazing because you see her just in the throes of it and oh, oh, oh. And then all of a sudden you see this little grin come over her face. And she kind of starts looking at me and you see her wiggle and then her hand comes up and she does this thing with her fingers and then touches me. And I have the biggest shitty and grin on my face. And I kind of look back at the mirror and I'm like, or at the camera behind me, I'm like, shit. Cause he saw the, my videographer saw the whole thing happen and did not stop rolling. And it's pretty funny. She is so proud of herself. And I just, you watch my face just glow red. I'm so embarrassed. I'm like, Oh my God, I have this superstar next to me. And I didn't even tie her tight enough that she was able to get out. So that's what, like I said, there's plenty of, but that was the one that came to mind. That was a pretty funny one that happened. It was definitely a very embarrassing moment. Ah, uh, that's so awesome. Thank you so much, JP, for uh, sharing all those experiences with us. You're welcome. For our listeners who want to see more of your stuff or follow you, what are the good places to find you on the internet? I am. I, I used to have it all across the board, the same thing, but social media hates porn stars. So Twitter is John Paul the Pope. Instagram is official underscore the Pope. And then I, kink.com's got like almost 15 years of my content. Um, if you want to see old baby Pope, there's a, a site, my old company I used to work for, it's dungeoncorp.com. You, you're going to have to dig because I haven't worked there in, like I said, 14, 15 years. 
Um, but that's where I started. That's where my career started was at JunkieCorp.com. Um, and I, he's still kicking. He's his company is one of the OGs that started back when Cybernet, now known as Kink, which like he's they've all been around for a long time. So that's where all the porn is. And then there's other places you can go. But, you know, as far as social media, that's where you can find me. And if you're looking for anything beyond that, you'll probably if you dig around, you can find it on social media. And you have a podcast yourself. I do. I have a podcast. Don't quote me. Well, quote me, but you guys don't hate me if I'm wrong. I think there's like 45 episodes total up there. And most of them I shot directly after a shoot. And it's talking from anything from like limit sheets to I had one that within the first two minutes, I was like, well, this one can't get monetized because she talked about doing. I don't I don't even want to say because I don't want your podcast to get trolled. But it was it was pretty graphic, very sexual, like, okay, I think I might be in trouble for that one. (laughs) But so. It's very, it's very sex positive. It's very bondage and BDSM positive. Um, it's very consent positive. But it's like there's 45 episodes, I think. It's called Alone with the Pope, and it's everywhere podcasts are. It's on, it's YouTube also. So you, if you want to watch it, you can watch it over there. I just don't have the time, and I hate it because I love clearly. I love talking. <laughs> and you do it well. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, JP. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening and have fun tying.